This is the actor's room. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Hey, it's been a while. I took a bit of a hiatus for several reasons. I'm back. Good to be back. And I'm going to highlight my most favorite film. I have a few favorites. The Godfather in this film. Back to the Future, 1985. I'm going to discuss it. Not really going to go through scene by scene. Don't like to do that. But tidbits about the film you might find interesting and so on. Here's my opening. And after my opening, there's going to be a little bit of a stand-up routine done by Thomas Wilson, who played Biff in the movie. This is a skit that he does regularly on his stand-up tours and whatnot. But making fun of people that ask him questions, common questions. Tom does his best with this skit to answer some of those questions that you might want answers for. Hope you enjoy this show, everybody. In a plane or I'm on the street There's a lot of famous people that I like to meet They shake my hand and never ask my name And they start asking questions that are always the same Hey, what's Michael J. Fox like? He's nice What's Michael J. Fox like? Nice guy What's Michael J. Fox like? He's an alien Stop asking me the question I went to the bar mitzvah of my nephew Josh I'm not Jewish, but I like to nosh. Put on my yarmulke, started to pray. When the rabbi leaned over and I heard him say, Hey, was that real manure? No, it wasn't. Was that real manure? No, was that real manure? It's a movie. Stop asking me the question. Can we take your picture? Come on, look mean. Would you call my friend a butthead on his answering machine? Hey, questions, questions, just fill my head. I went to my doctor, my doctor said, Hey, what does a key grip do? Set up lights. What does the best boy do? Help the key grip. What does a producer do? I don't know. Stop asking me the question. Do you all hang out together? No, we don't. How's Crispin Glover? Never talk to him. Back to the future for not happening. Stop asking me the question. Hey, who's the nicest famous guy you know? Adam Sandler. Who is the biggest jerk? Gary Busey. How much money do you make more than you do? So stop asking me the question. Thanks a lot, everybody. Oh yeah, that right there, of course, Thomas Wilson. He's a stand-up comedian. He played Biff Tannen in the movie. 
great casting choice. And uh, folks, didn't they just do a phenomenal job in this film? Casting. It's always a process. This was a big film. It had high expectations. They wanted everything to be perfect, of course. Of course you do. Robert Zemeckis, Bob Gale, and Steven Spielberg were a big part of this movie. Let's talk about Robert Zemeckis, Bob Zemeckis, and Bob Gale. Robert Zemeckis grew up in Chicago, a middle-class family. Growing up in Chicago, he did well in school, good kid, aspirations of being in the movie, something that he gravitated towards his entire childhood. The television would be on, and little Bobby Zemeckis would be fascinated with all the shows that inspired him to someday be a part of that. His parents really frowned on this. They said, Bobby, we want your feet firmly planted on the ground with a decent job where you're going to have a job where money's coming in. You don't know about this entertainment stuff. It's just not us. Bobby felt differently. And as soon as he could, made a point to get into film classes. At first, Northern Illinois after high school. And then USC, the University of Southern California, the film department. There were a handful of students. Bob Zemeckis was one of them. And this is in 1970. One of his classmates was another Midwestern boy. Both Bobs quickly became friends. They had the same interest, the same taste in movies, the same taste in music. I guess Bob Gale said that he knew him and Zemeckis would hit it off just fine right off the start when he found out that Zemeckis also owned the soundtrack of The Great Escape, the movie The Great Escape. They both owned the soundtrack. They just had the same vision, the same humor. Bob Gale wanted to write and Robert Zemeckis wanted to direct. And they worked together on school projects, doing student films. They had it in their mind to collaborate together. They worked well together. And they knew that. After college, they decided they wouldn't go the usual route. The teachers at USC, they supported the uh, artistic way of making a film. And Bob Gale... And Bob Zemeckis felt that they wanted to make films that the ordinary person wanted to see. Something entertaining. A movie that would make money. That's where they wanted to go. And it makes sense, right? I mean, to me that makes sense. Although in acting school or these artistic schools, they do just that. They promote that. You know, really mean what you're doing. Make it... (laughs) Make it meaningful, full of uh, meaning. Not always. Sometimes you really want to do the fun stuff. And that's what the Bobs, we'll call them the Bobs, that's what they wanted to do. Bob Gale, the writer, Robert Zemeckis, the director, they found that getting work, you had to be creative. And one of the things that Robert Zemeckis did, 
was he found out where Steven Spielberg was working, where he was hanging out, what projects he was doing. Zemeckis felt that getting Spielberg's attention would be a good idea. I think Robert Zemeckis is a smart man. He found that going to one of Spielberg's premieres, I believe it was Sugarland Express, the premiere. Zemeckis showed up, watched the premiere, waited, waited, and waited to get the attention of Spielberg after the showing. His patience paid off. He cornered Spielberg and said, listen, I just got out of film school. I have high aspirations. I think you are, are just brilliant, Spielberg. Brilliant. And he is. You need to see my student film I did. It won awards. Uh, it did. Uh, I guess his film that Zemeckis did in college won some awards in school. It was a, it was a hit. It was a successful uh, little project. And Spielberg was, okay, all right, uh, fine, uh, I'll see it. Zemeckis didn't give up on this. And when someone says, yeah, okay, I'll see it, it just sort of doesn't happen, right? Well, Zemeckis didn't give up. He kept coming to Spielberg's office. Very forcefully, aggressively, Zemeckis had a vision, a goal. You got to do that sometimes. I mean, there's luck that plays into it, right? Getting into the arts, whether you want to be an actor, you want to be a director, a writer. And if you don't have connections right away, make them. And this is what Robert Zemeckis did. He made his connection. He went for it. He kept at Spielberg. Showed him his student film. Spielberg liked it. Connection. They kept sending stuff to Spielberg. And before you know it, there were projects that they would do together. But before we get into that, I I just want to say, Hi, my name is Jeff Tarowski and this is the Actors Room. I wanted to say that because I didn't say that yet. I like to say my name every now and then in my episodes. I don't do it all the time. My name's Jeff. This is the actor's room. I took a break, folks. Wow, the last one I did, oh, it was um, February or March. I think it was early March. I did the documentary Leaving Neverland, the Michael Jackson just crazy documentary. And after that episode, that was a rough one. Just because I was on the fence with Jackson Uh, If you didn't listen to that episode and you're just tuning into this one, you like Back to the Future, you're clicking on this, and you didn't listen to my Leaving Neverland episode, it uh, talks about all the allegations about Michael Jackson. And I was the biggest Michael Jackson fan, kind of am, just knowing the things that were said about him. And trying to listen to one of his songs now is not the same. Isn't that something? I still listen to it because I adore his talent. And after that episode, uh, I had to take a step back. I wanted to change the show up. uh, Maybe change the name and do something completely different. I'm toying with the idea of doing uh, just documentaries. I enjoy them very much. And I feel that um, giving my input 
my analysis of documentaries would be a lot of fun and even doing a lot of them with my brother Dave because he enjoys them too. Both of us share that uh, same thing. We're kind of a lot alike, kind of. My brother and I have a lot in common. We truly are very much alike where some siblings aren't. They're night and day. Uh, We share a lot of common interests and documentaries are fascinating. And uh, just recently... He texted me about the Scott Peterson case and how A&E came out with a documentary, a series, a mini-series about that. And they brought up all these interesting new things. And I'm thinking, you know, here we are talking about documentaries. That'd make for a great show. So it's something I'm kind of kicking around in my head and thought, I'm going to do that. I even changed the name of the show to The Pop Doc Podcast, it's temporary. I don't even know if I'm going to keep that. Even if I do this documentary thing, I might not. But folks, the last couple of months, I've been just... I don't know what I'm doing because the show, it's not that popular. And I put a lot of time and effort into doing it. It was every week and that got to be too much. Um, And then I did every other week. And it just seemed like it was, I wasn't getting back what I was putting into it. And then I thought to myself, who gives a shit? Do it because you love it. And maybe if I just keep doing it, uh, something will happen. There'll be a breakthrough. Who knows? And another reason why it was such a long break is because after that last episode, the Michael Jackson one, I did receive a lot of negative uh, feedback uh, personally, <laughs> I, I got some backlash and it caught me by surprise. Was, whoa. whoa. <laughs> I thought that I would get some. Uh, I didn't realize like how much and how it would affect me. It, it did affect me. Um, I thought I would receive a lot more backlash with the Paradise Lost stuff I did. If you remember, I highlighted the documentary about the West Memphis Three called Paradise Lost. I did it in three parts. I thought for sure I get a lot of backlash with that. But not really. Nobody gave a shit. Nope. I think a lot of people listen to the show that uh, uh, think like me about Paradise Lost and the West Memphis Three thinking that they're guilty. And uh, it was great because some of the supporters of that listened to the show and, and there was some positive feedback. But I never went... On a West Memphis 3 support group for, you know, their innocence. And if I ever did that, and I considered doing that, like slipping in on one of their message boards, like, hey, by the way, listen to my podcast. I'm sure I would be just, I'm afraid to do it. I'm afraid to just put it out there and just be bashed. I have this fear, all right, that blocks me big time from being an artist And that's negative criticism. It's not fun. It's there. Okay. And I know that it happens. And of course you're not going to like it. But you got to take it. Right. So I'm I'm trying to get my feet back on the ground. With this whole thing. Doing the podcast. Because there are some people. That actually listen. They enjoy the show. I've been getting responses. Like where have you been? Are you coming back? And I'm like ah you know. I wanted to do the Luke Perry episode. Right. And uh, his friend contacted me and I was all pumped to do that. I have like 80% of it done. 
and I was waiting on the friend to get back to me. Luke's friend from high school. I'm sure he's got great stories. I still haven't heard back from him. So that was another reason why the show just kind of went. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to get my feet back on the ground. Hate repeating myself. By doing a Back to the Future episode. Number one, because I love it. I truly, truly love it. Without a doubt, I watched it two weeks ago. And before that, I watched it about six months before that, right? This film is watched by me at least twice a year, at least. And sometimes more. Since 1985. No joke. No joke. That was my movie, man. That was my bag. I can put it in and I enjoy it. Every single time. And it's never lessened. What I mean by that is that every time I see it, I get something out of it. I still get that entertainment. I'm entertained by it every time I see it. That is the mark for me of just, I mean, talk about a successful film. What a story The characters, the whole premise, a time machine, a time movie, going back in time. This concept has been done many times, and it's a fascinating concept. My wife and I enjoy time movies, future movies, uh, period pieces, time-traveling movies, period. We enjoy them. If there's one out, we'll see it together. Something that we enjoy together. Watching uh, (laughs) these kind of movies, right? You're with your spouse. You're with your better half. Your friend. Whatever the case is. And there's something that you enjoy together. And you can talk about it. It's great conversation. That's what Robert Zemeckis, Bob Gale, and Steven Spielberg accomplished with this. Spielberg went And kind of, let's just, okay, we're going to do a little bit more background on Steven Spielberg, Bob Gale, and Robert Zemeckis because they are the reasons why this movie was made. Spielberg was presented with the script from both Bobs, and Spielberg liked it. Spielberg was a fan of both these guys. Uh, Spielberg uh, produced... One of their very first films called, it was a Beatles thing. I want to hold your hand. It was their first film. It was okay. And the critics liked it. The audiences really didn't, you know, gravitate towards it. So Spielberg tried again with them and did another movie called Used Cars. This again, critics liked the film. It was entertaining. It was funny. A fun film, uh, goofy, and Spielberg felt that they did a great job. But once again, the audiences, not so much. It wasn't a success financially. So Robert Zemeckis was getting a little frustrated with the whole business. Felt that his talents, although he was doing some directing and writing, he felt that his talents were in directing. And that's what he really Loved, And although 
both Bobs, Gale and Zemeckis had this idea of Back to the Future in the back of their heads, it wasn't solid yet. It needed rewrites, but the idea was there. And that was the film that Zemeckis really wanted to do. And when he came to Spielberg about it, it wasn't ready yet. And then Spielberg said, when you're ready, come back to me. So both Bobs worked on the script for months, crafting it, molding it, changing it. It was a process. You think to yourselves like, oh, didn't uh, Sly Stallone write Rocky in like a weekend? He did. (laughs) Sometimes these things just, but Rocky is a little more simple than Back to the Future. And sometimes these things, well, they need a little time. And it did. They took this script one of their drafts, and they shopped it around Hollywood. Bob Gale says that it went through about 40 studios, 40 different people. And one of the last people they brought it to said, listen, uh, we're not really looking for this sort of thing. This is kind of light and fun, and we're looking for raunchier stuff. That's what's going on right now. During this time, Porky's was big. Okay, Caddyshack. That's what they were looking for, right? Meatballs. They weren't really looking at this, you know, bubblegum, time machine thing going on. They said, why don't you take it to Disney? That's probably more up their alley. So that's what the Bobs did. They took it to Disney. They're sitting down with one of their executives right across the desk. The guy looks him straight in the eye from Disney and says, Bob, Bob, what is this? <laughs> They're like, well, what do you mean? What, what is it? What's the problem? They said, uh, you got this kid sitting in the car with his mom making out? Because that's incest. That's disgusting. There's no way we'll ever do this. Disney won't touch this with a 10-foot pole. Get out of my office. What do you think about that? It was too raunchy for Disney. (laughs) The incest thing going on there. Not much of it. It was a little bit. But that was part of the script. Disney said, no, not going to happen. So, the Bobs, you could say, frustrated. They wanted to do this film. They wanted it done right. Nobody was taken. No takers. But one. Just like one guy. And of course Steven Spielberg was the guy. But they were a little hesitant. Why? Because the used car movie that Spielberg helped out on wasn't that successful. And the one before that that Spielberg helped them with, not successful. And they felt hesitant to include Spielberg in the third time. The third time. Could this be the charm? They said, Steve, we're afraid to do something with you, man. If we do something with you, this back to the future, it bombs. Nobody's going to want to work with us in Hollywood ever again. And Spielberg kind of agreed. (laughs) He said, you got a good point. Although the other films 
were good. The audience really didn't give a shit and felt that if we collaborate for the third time and it doesn't happen, that's bad. It's just not a good sign. They were very hesitant to do something with Spielberg. So they sat on it. They sat on it. And Zemeckis felt that he needed to direct. He needed to do something directing-wise. So he told Bob Gale, the next thing that comes across my desk that looks interesting, I'm going to direct it. And wouldn't you know, Michael Douglas... And yes, I'm talking about Michael Douglas of Romancing the Stone, Wall Street fame. Famous father, Kirk Douglas. If it wasn't for Michael Douglas, Back to the Future may not have been made. Why? Michael Douglas loved the movie Used Cars. Done by Zemeckis, Gale, and Spielberg. Not successful, but Michael Douglas liked it. He had a project he wanted to do called Romancing the Stone. He wanted to produce it. And he liked used cars. Called up Robert Zemeckis, gave him the script and said, please take a look at it. If you want to do it, I want you to do it. So Zemeckis said, fine. Romancing the Stone, it will be. I like the movie. I love the movie. I watched Romancing the Stone. What was that? Today's Tuesday. I watched it last Thursday. <laughs> I know. I know it was Thursday. It was. I was on. I, I got to tell you. I've been on a Robert Zemeckis kick lately. Just anything associated with Robert Zemeckis. I've been watching for the past like three weeks. Weird, right? <laughs> Weird. I go on these things. For a while there, I was doing everything uh, Jack Lemon, And I didn't even know it. Like I just didn't even realize it. And uh, I think there was something I was doing right. Uh, What was that? I was doing everything Neil Simon for a while too. Didn't even know it. Like after the fourth time of watching something associated with Neil Simon, I said, oh my God, there's, and I do this. So Robert Zemeckis kick lately, romancing the stone was before back to the future. I like the film. I think it's great. It's, it's crafty. It's fun. Kathleen Turner's gorgeous. Michael Douglas and her had great chemistry. Fun film, right? And Robert Zemeckis showed Michael Douglas, uh, showed the studio. uh, And this is funny. The studio thought the bomb was on. They really did. They felt they saw a screening, the very first screening of Romancing the Stone. The studios didn't like it. They felt, oh boy, this is going to be horrible. We've bombed. Oh, this is horrible. Not the case. Romancing the Stone made, I believe, around $100 million. It was a successful film. And I don't know what the studios were thinking. But the reason why Back to the Future had the possibility of being made is the success of Romancing the Stone and Michael Douglas. Thank you, Michael Douglas. And there is another reason why I adore that guy. I even considered doing an episode on him this week because I watched Romancing the Stone. I love Wall Street, one of my favorites. He produced One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. No shit. 
Michael Douglas knows his stuff. He was involved with the um, China Syndrome with Jack Lemmon and Jane Fonda. He was, uh, I think he produced that one as well. I mean, talk about underrated, right? Wouldn't you consider that uh, an artist that's underrated in the respect that many people probably don't know that Michael Douglas is a producer, not just an actor, not just a Wall Street guy, not just a guy married to Catherine Zeta-Jones. It has a famous father, Kirk Douglas. Multi-talented. And thank you, Michael Douglas. Thank you, sir. Because if it wasn't for you in Romancing the Stone, Kathleen Turner, we may not have had Back to the Future made. Thank you. Back to the Future. 1985. Directed by Robert Zemeckis. Written by Bob Gale Robert Zemeckis and executive produced by Steven Spielberg. In the process of writing the script, Bob Gale and Zemeckis ran into roadblocks. One of the roadblocks was this. They really didn't have concrete plot lines of why Marty would go back in time. What's the interest? Where's, where's the hook? Why would it be interesting? So Bob Gale was visiting his father one weekend. Got away, visited the parents. They started talking about high school. They went to the same high school. Bob Gale and his father went to the same high school. They got to talking about yearbooks. Thank you. I'm a big yearbook fan. Anybody that listens to my show knows that I found my yearbooks about a year ago. Made my fucking year. I'm trying not to swear as much as I used to. I think that's bad. A swear word will come out from time to time. Sorry. That's just me. Anyways, Bob Gale and his dad talked about yearbooks. Bob Gale's dad Said, you know something, my yearbook's downstairs. You should take a look at it. His dad graduated in 1940. Bob Gale went downstairs, leafed through his yearbook, found it fascinating looking at his dad's yearbook. I did the same thing. I looked at my parents' yearbooks when I was a kid. My mom and dad would bring them out from the attic. We'd look at them, and I'd see like what they looked like back then. And they told me stories about how their friends would, you know, mess with the teachers and and they went to school in the late 60s and I guess Bob Gale's dad went to high school in the 30s and 40s. He graduated in 40 and Bob Gale found out that his dad was class president. He didn't know that. And he thought, how fascinating. I didn't know that my dad was class president. Wow, weird. And Bob Gale thought, hmm, I hate it the guy that was class president in my high school, and he felt, would I have been friends with my dad if I knew him back then? You know, we were like nothing alike. I was nothing like my dad. And then, bing, something clicked in his head about the fact and how cool it would have been to go back in time and just walk the halls of his dad's high school kind of follow his dad around and wonder if him 
and his dad would have been friends? Would they have hung out together? What would they have talked about back then? Would they have gotten along? Bob Gale, new inspiration going on. Went to Zemeckis after his weekend visit with his parents and told him about the encounter and his idea. And Zemeckis loved it. He said, that's it. We got something. Let's get back to writing. Let's do it again. Another draft was done. Feeling more confident about their job (laughs) and writing the script, they were about ready to go. Steven Spielberg was on board. They got a script, a pretty good one. They got the backing they wanted. They got the confidence to move forward. And that's what they did. 1985. Let's start the casting process. The most important character, of course, Marty McFly. Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale agreed. There was one actor, hot at that time, on Family Ties. Michael J. Fox was actually making a movie at that time while they were doing the casting process for Back to the Future. The movie he was doing, Teen Wolf. Teen Wolf. (laughs) Right down the street. And Michael J. Fox knew that there was a casting process going on for Back to the Future. And he knew Spielberg was involved. And he also knew that Crispin Glover was going to be in the movie. Crispin and Mike knew each other. Uh, Crispin had been in a few episodes of Family Ties. And Fox and Glover also did a movie together called, I believe it's called High School Confidential. They had done projects in the past. And Michael J. Fox was jealous. He goes, I'm making this stupid wolf movie. When I could be, you know, maybe trying out for that. (laughs) That Back to the Future movie with Spielberg. I think that's probably better than doing a wolf movie. And little did Michael J. Fox know. (laughs) That Robert Zemeckis, Bob Gale, and Spielberg were asking about Fox. Because they went to Bob Goldberg. I'm sorry, Gary Goldberg. I know, right? Everybody's Bob. <laughs> Not everybody. But uh, Gary Bulb. Oh, God. Uh, Gary Goldberg? Uh, Gary Goldberg was the producer of Family Ties. He was approached by uh, Spielberg. We want Michael J. Fox. And Goldberg said, um, he's in a contract with me. Family Ties. Sorry. Find somebody else. So they did. Uh, It was a process to find another actor besides Fox. So they went on a nationwide hunt. That happens. They scoured universities, high schools, uh, talent agencies, everywhere. Send us your best uh, kids. And that's what they did. Nationwide hunt, uh, which means that I've been involved with these myself way back in the day. And you actually at one point send in tapes and rehearsing tapes. Like you can uh, do the audition on a tape and you send it in. Or sometimes you could just go to a agency. That's what I would do is I had an agent in Cleveland and they would call, you know, ring, ring, ring. Hi, Uh, Jeff. Hey, we have an audition for you uh, coming tomorrow. 
uh, wear a t-shirt, jeans, sneakers. Uh, you're up for uh, a character between the ages of 15 to 20 and blah, blah, blah. They give you the rundown and they would fax over. This was way back in the day. They would fax over your lines. It would be like two, three pages. Sometimes it would just be a page of dialogue. And you would look at it, bring it in with you. During the audition, you got your headshot, you got your resume, so on. You go in there and you audition for a casting director. Or you audition in front of a camera. And then when your audition's over, after that, oh, gut-wrenching, I don't know, five minutes, it's over. You walk out, you say goodbye, and that's it. Uh, Much different from the auditions I did in New York City. In New York City, that's completely different. But with this, back to the future. That's what they did. Nationwide Hunt, they scoured everywhere, looking for Marty. They came and decided that it was between... I mean, they went... um, John Cusack was one of the people that they looked at. Uh, Matthew Broderick. Matthew Broderick again. I think he was considered for everything back then, teenage-wise. A lot of different actors. But it was down to Eric Stoltz and C. Thomas Howell. And I didn't know this until I did the research on Back to the Future this week. Didn't know that C. Thomas Howell was practically the number one choice. And they were ready to go with C. Thomas Howell. Seriously. Isn't that cool? I C. Thomas Howell, he's alright. They called him Tommy. Tommy Howell. He was Pony Boy in The Outsiders. If you don't know who I'm talking about. He really isn't known right now. But back then, uh, he was well respected. You know, coming up, uh, he was in The Outsiders. Played Pony Boy. He was also a very small role in E.T. A Spielberg production. So, connection there. He played one of... Um, what, Elliot? Right? Elliot, his older brother... And I forget his name in the movie. He was one of his friends, right? In the beginning of the film when they're eating pizza. Well, see Thomas Howell is one of the friends. And if you notice, like, when they're on their bikes flying in the air, see Thomas Howell is one of those kids. Well, he was up. And the producers, Bob Gale, director, Robert Zemeckis, even Spielberg, they were fine with see Thomas Howell. Ready to go. There was... a. One executive. There's always that one guy, right? (laughs) It just kind of fucks up shit. Uh, Although it all worked out in the end, of course. But kind of getting into this whole like behind the scenes and what almost happened. Well, this one executive felt that Eric Stoltz would be the better choice. Why? Because he watched a movie called Mask. Which share about... This guy, this kid that had this uh, deadly disease, his head got all distorted, scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. That movie scared the fucking shit out of me. Woo! I would, like, be walking through the room when I was a kid, and HBO would show this movie, Mask, and I'd walk by and just get a glimpse of this character and his face and how... It was really, ugh. Even today, I can't really look at 
Well, Eric Stoltz played the kid with a deformed face, a really big head. And the executive said, if it's between Eric Stoltz and C. Thomas Howell, take Stoltz. Why? Because if he can pull off that character, that deformed, diseased kid, he could do anything. Fine. (laughs) Eric Stoltz it was. Eric Stoltz would play Marty McFly. Eric Stoltz is a method actor, which means... He goes about doing his role gritty like he is Marty. He had people on set calling him Marty, except for Leah Thompson. And the reason why Leah was allowed to call him Eric <laughs> is because they knew each other. They worked uh, on a project before and he allowed her to call him Eric. Sorry, folks. Uh, Doesn't Eric Stoltz kind of seem like a little dickhead? And I think he was doing Back to the Future. He wasn't like that much on the set. He went method, got to call him Marty. He wore wore the clothes on the set, off the set, kind of being, you know, all method. And he was really serious about it and pissed off a lot of people on set. And two of the people he pissed off that he shouldn't have pissed off was Bob Zemeckis. And Bob Gale. And they would complain to Spielberg. Stoltz really isn't working out, Steve. (laughs) I guess Stoltz was missing the whole comedy aspect. Because Eric Stoltz is a fine actor. I like Eric Stoltz, actually. Everything he does, I think, is very good. He's a good actor. But his comedy wasn't really there. What was needed. And it was driving everybody crazy. He was driving the cast crazy. Uh, The guy who played Biff, Tom Wilson, hated Eric Stoltz. Hated. And vowed to punch him in the face. (laughs) Eventually. If it came to it. But it didn't. They got rid of Stoltz. Even Eric Stoltz agreed. Because it's just not working out. It wasn't. It wasn't working out. So after six weeks of working with Eric Stoltz, can you believe that? I think I mentioned that in my Michael J. Fox episode, that they went six weeks filming this with Eric Stoltz. And you can see clips of this. It's really interesting to see Eric Stoltz do it. It's the darker. Eric Stoltz did it more serious. And that's what it just wasn't working. Six weeks, man. That's like, that's a good chunk of film that they just... Pretty much threw away. And the only footage that was kept is when Biff confronts Marty in the diner. And Biff like stands up and you see a back shot of Marty McFly right before he hits Biff in the face. That is actually Eric Stoltz. So, Eric Stoltz, gone. They need to cast Marty again. Is Tommy Howell still available? <laughs> where's, where's Ralph Macchio? Yeah. What, where's Matthew Broderick? I, where, I, what, what are we going to do? What do we do? Can we get Michael J. Fox, for Christ's sake? Will you go to Family Ties, get on your fucking hands and knees, and beg Gary Goldberg to make it happen? So that's what they did pretty much. They got down on their hands and knees, crawled 
into Gary Goldberg's office and plagued and begged and cried. Please work his schedule. Whatever it is that you got to do, we'll do it. Uh, we'll work his schedule out. Please let us have Michael. Please. Gary Goldberg said, I'll talk to Michael about it. Give me a little time. Gary Goldberg had Michael J. Fox come into his office. Mike, sit down. So Michael J. Fox sat down across from Goldberg. Goldberg explained the situation. He said, back to the future, uh, they had to fire Eric Stoltz. And Michael J. Fox is like, wow, that's horrible. (laughs) He had the script in his hand in actually a manila envelope. The script was in the envelope. He handed it to Fox. He said, we'll work out a schedule if you take a look at the script and like it. And Michael J. Fox took the envelope from (laughs) Goldberg in his office, touched it. He said, that's the best script I ever read. I want to do it. History made. Thank you. Michael J. Fox knew it. He just knew that role was for him. He said, you know, it, it revolved around a kid who loves the skateboard, loves girls, right? Wants a new car, loves rock and roll. That's me. It's great. I already have the motivation. I'm so much like this kid. This is going to just be a lot of fun. So this is what happened. This is a crazy schedule. Michael J. Fox on Family Ties would work from about 9.30 to 5 o'clock. Like a normal shift of work, right? And when Family Ties was over, he was shipped off to Back to the Future. Like right away. They had a station wagon ready for him, okay? And as soon as Family Ties was over, off on the station wagon to the lot of Back to the Future. Where he would work. At night until about five o'clock in the morning. And then they would ship him back to his apartment, wherever he was staying, to sleep for a few hours and then go to the family tie set at what? 8 30, 9 o'clock. Michael J. Fox endured this schedule. And you know what? He was living the dream though, man. Michael J. Fox on a hit TV show, Family Ties, and also working with Steven Spielberg and Robert Zemeckis on a movie, Back to the Future, that had aspirations to just be a big hit. And they all just had a feeling about it. They really did. Now we're going to go ahead and talk about the rest of the casting process and just touching on a few things. Christopher Lloyd is Doc Brown. He was the first choice. Lloyd said that he was doing a film in Mexico City, got the script, wasn't that impressed, but felt intrigued, wanted to meet Zemeckis, and when he did, he was convinced. He said Zemeckis was just very intellectual, knew what he was doing, he had a good feeling about it, decided to take it on. Christopher Lloyd, Went to the neighborhood playhouse, the school I went to, and just did a fantastic job. He brought his personality, the creative juice of Christopher Lloyd is unmatchable. They considered Goldblum, Jeff Goldblum, um, but 
ultimately decided on Christopher Lloyd and uh, Doc Brown, the character. He looked to resemble Albert Einstein, of course, and it did just a fantastic job. Well done by Christopher Lloyd. Leah Thompson as the mom. She got the role pretty much because she knew Eric Stoltz. They worked together on a film previous. And when they were scouting for Marty McFly, they visited Eric Stoltz on this film that Leah was working on with Eric. And while scouting Eric, they noticed Leah and said, who's that? She would be perfect. We want to talk to her. So that's how she got the role of Elaine. Was it Elaine? Lorraine. (laughs) Elaine, no. Lorraine. Lorraine Baines. Crispin Glover. (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about Crispin Glover. He's just unusual, folks. He's just an unusual guy. Uh, Different kind of interest. His dad was in the business. He was an actor. And he followed in his dad's footsteps. Uh, His dad had some connections. And he got into the business at a young age uh, doing sitcoms. I would see him on sitcoms in the early 80s. Pilots. Uh, sitcoms that don't really take off he played around with that uh, did films and sitcoms with Michael J. Fox in Family Ties they knew each other and Crispin Glover would get roles because he was very quirky, very interesting character and Robert Zemeckis remembers the main reason why he gave Crispin the role is because of that he was different and his delivery was just crisp. Ooh, that's weird. Crispin Glover. Crisp. And he was strange. And for that, um, there was friction on the set. Uh, Crispin had the idea of putting George McFly uh, through all sorts of different kinds of... Uh, I don't know. Like, just... Uh, like, changing his hair, for instance. I don't know what it was about Crispin Glover, but he really wanted... His hair to be different. He brought up to Zemeckis that he felt that his character was much like the character from Eraserhead. Okay? The movie Eraserhead. That big cult movie. What a strange movie that is. David Lynch. Holy shit. Fascinating. Well, that character in the movie Eraserhead had his hair like an Eraserhead. Just up big and he told Robert Zemeckis Crispin Glover said I want my hair to be like that and Robert Zemeckis is like what are you talking about you're not doing that no no I don't agree with that choice that's stupid but what happened was during the filming or right before they shot this movie the producers went into full effect in getting all the characters looking like they were in the 50s, things like that, doing their hair, really sort of making them specific. And Crispin Glover decided to go out (laughs) on his own and make a choice about his hair. If if, uh, Robert Zemeckis is not going to allow me to have my hair sticking up, I'm going to do something on my own. I guess Crispin shaved 
his hair like on the sides and back, if you notice in the movie, it's pretty much to the skin. Uh, and that was his choice, not Robert Zemeckis. Robert Zemeckis was not happy about that choice. But what are they going to do? <laughs> so if you notice in the film, his haircut, Crispin's haircut, was not acceptable. And that wasn't the only thing. Zemeckis felt that Crispin just wanted to do things his own way. He would show up late on set. Not good. Uh, showing up late. Now he didn't do it all the time. But he would do it often. And uh, too much. If you're showing up late. They would have to do things without him. Um, but George McFly. Is one hell of a character. In film history. And Crispin Glover nails it. Whatever you feel about Crispin Glover. I don't fucking care. I think he's brilliant. He's strange as hell. Very strange guy. But he was George McFly. They had a tough time casting Biff. They almost casted Tim Robbins from Shawshank fame, Shawshank Redemption. And they nearly did until they saw Thomas Wilson. You wouldn't know it, but Thomas Wilson is a pussycat. Just a great, nice guy. Nothing like Biff. But there was a stature about Thomas Wilson that just portrayed Biff he came into the room uh, for the audition and went whoa 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 Mr. Uh, Mr. Wilson is it um yes um we're gonna have you come back tomorrow and then he came back the next day after that and before they knew it after the readings that he did they had their Biff and wouldn't you know like when you hear him say butthead and I use that a lot, man. Well, I call my kids buttheads because they are buttheads sometimes. That was all improv from uh, Thomas Wilson. And also the make like a tree and get out of here. That's all Thomas Wilson. Claudia Wells played Jennifer, uh, Marty's uh, girlfriend. And she nearly didn't get that. She was actually cast first, right? And couldn't do it because uh, she was committed to sitcom. She said, sorry, I can't do it. I got to do this sitcom. So she did. I think she said she did about six episodes of this sitcom. And then it fell through. So she was available again. But they already recast it. They recast uh, Melora was her first name. And I forgot to write down her last name. I thought I had that. Uh, Melora, she was in the office. She played uh, the love interest of Steve Carell. And uh, Melora is her first name. Anyways, I think she's beautiful. She was in a movie called Soul Man back in the day with C. Thomas Howell. <laughs> weird how this all connects in a weird way, doesn't it? It all really does. That's why I really believe Hollywood is a small place. It has to be. Things are just sort of circulated. Everybody kind of knows each other. And you could just see that. When you talk about films and everything just sort of connects in some weird way. Well, she was in Soul Man. She was in The Office. She was cast as Jennifer. With Eric Stoltz as Marty. When Stoltz was fired, Melora, bye-bye. And it was open again for, what's her name? Claudia. Claudia Wells to take the role back and she did 
she unfortunately was not able to be in the sequels because her mom was diagnosed with cancer and she couldn't do it. So Elizabeth Shue did Jennifer in the sequels. Elizabeth Shue. Mm-mm-mm. The Karate Kid, right? Remember that? Liv- oh my gosh. Was she like the first crush of about a million teenage boys in 1985 when that movie came out? Yeah, she was. Getting back to Back to the Future. Mark McClure played David McFly, his brother. He had worked with Zemeckis and Gale in their previous projects, Used Cars and Want to Hold Your Hand. Also, Wendy Jo Sperber, who played Linda McFly, Marty's sister. Mark and Wendy worked together with Zemeckis in the past and received this gift to be in Back to the Future. And Mark says that Wendy and him met way back and were so blessed to know the Bobs. He said, my goodness, how great it was that we were able to meet and be involved in work with Zemeckis and Gale. And we're doing Back to the Future. He just felt very blessed. And of course, I want to round out the acting um, uh, the cast, that is, by just reaching out <laughs> and talking about Mr. Strickland. God bless you, sir, the principal. And the actor that plays him, his name is James Tolkien. And he says that he was doing a play on Broadway called Glen Gary Glen Ross, written by David Mamet, on Broadway for about a year when he got a phone call from Robert Zemeckis. Robert said, I want you to play the principal in my movie, Back to the Future. Please do it. Send me, you know, I'll send you the script. Take a look at it. And when uh, Tolkien read it, he felt that, wow, I'm going to do this. This is just a great script. And wow, Strickland. Got a great character. And especially in the second movie when uh, they're like that alternate universe. The universe, the alternate reality, and they come up with like shotguns and like machine guns shooting at his house, and he comes out with like Rambo. You buttheads! No, he calls them. What does he call them? Slackers. You slackers. No McFly ever amounted to anything in the history of Hill Valley. Well, history's going to change, but the most important character in this movie. Was the car, goddammit. That choice to make the DeLorean, the time machine, what a choice. Brilliant. Because, folks, the original script of Back to the Future, the vessel that would be the portal, right, to send Marty back in time, was supposed to be a refrigerator. You heard me right. A refrigerator. That movie would have been completely different if they went with the original thought of having a refrigerator be the time machine. Stupid. If I read a script and a refrigerator is the time machine, it just seems so boring. Maybe because they ultimately decided on the DeLorean 
That car looks like a spaceship. Stainless steel. What a choice. I guess it took a while. Because, of course, they're thinking to themselves. Refrigerator? (laughs) Who gives a shit? (laughs) That's stupid. Like, they're going to go to some, like, I think it was, like, just some, like, restaurant. And in the back, you know, like, in the storage unit, they were going to use a refrigerator to go back in time. I just don't see it. And neither did Zemeckis and Gale writing the script. They felt they could do better. So Zemeckis paced back and forth. Back and forth. Thinking, thinking. What are we going to do? What else are we going to make this time machine as? There's got to be something better. And, and even Steven Spielberg said that he would like come into the room where they were writing. Trying to figure out what the hell we're going to do. And he would peek his head in every now and then to see how things were going. And he'd see Zemeckis pacing back and forth, just driving himself insane. What the hell are we going to do? And he'd be like, all right, I'm going to check back in another hour. Good luck, guys. And the last time he poked his head in, (laughs) Spielberg poked his head in and saw a big smile on Zemeckis' face and thought, he did it. He figured it out. And he said, so what's the verdict? What did you decide on? And Zemeckis said, we had to make it mobile. We're going to do a car. And we think we wanted to make a DeLorean time machine. Brilliant, man. Fucking brilliant. That car. I mean, you think of the movie, right? Back to the Future. And that car just pops in your head, doesn't it? Yeah, Marty pops in your head. Maybe George McFly. You know, whatever. Doc Brown. Sure. But that car, it's just great vision. And the, the team that had to get this car like looking the way it did, I mean, they went to, I guess they went to used car places. Uh, they went to auto parts stores. They went to junkyards, radio shacks. Things that people threw away and got all this stuff together and put it on the car, making sure it was like an art project. What you see, that final product, a lot of time and effort went into every last detail on that car. And we are going to make this a two-parter, folks. I could, Maybe it's because I haven't done this in like a year. It's been a few months. Maybe because I haven't done this in like a year. (laughs) I'm having so much fun doing it. I'm realizing, I look down, I'm at an hour. And I'm like not even halfway done of what I want to talk about. So much information. This is great. This is, this is great. All right. Woo! Part two, coming at you next week because we got to talk about Wow, we got to talk about the plot. We got to talk about just like the time travel thing. A little more tidbits of information about behind the stuff, behind the scenes stuff. A a lot of stuff to talk about, folks. And I don't want to rush it. Part two coming at you next week. This was part one. A nice stepping stone. Getting my feet back on the ground with the actor's room. My name is Jeff Tarowski. I hope you had a great day today. Did you have a good day today? I did. What's weird? 
I'm doing the episode. It's a Tuesday. I haven't done this episode on a Tuesday in so long. I, I used to do them on Sundays and Mondays. And then I was doing it on Fridays, Saturdays. The weekends were good for me because, you know, I'm home. Uh, but for today, I worked like 12 hours yesterday. I did, uh, I filled in for my, uh, my partner, my colleague. She was on vacation. We had no coverage. I said, don't worry about it. I'll just come in. So I had a 12 hour shift yesterday and I left early today. I'm like, I'm out. (laughs) See you later. You know? Uh, so I had some time today. Uh, the wife and kids are actually, uh, out of town just for tonight. So I got the house to myself, uh, no distractions. So I was able to sit down, really concentrate on the episode. And it's been a few months. I hope I, my voice doesn't sound too <laughs> crazy. Um, and I hope I gave a great show. I'm going to listen to it later on. Uh, hopefully it doesn't sound too horrible. <laughs> Maybe I'll cut out a few things, tighten it up. We'll see. And I considered... Um, auditioning today, I might still do it. I know there's a musical that I thought I might audition for. And I'm like scared to do it because I haven't auditioned in like 20 years. And I don't know like how my voice is. It's a musical. I've been working on this song and I just, I'm not ready. I don't think I'm ready. And that scares me a little bit just because I haven't auditioned in a while. And, but maybe I'll get up the courage. <laughs> like the audition ends at 10 and it's like six. I got some time. We'll see. Um, whatever. But it was fun doing this episode. Back to the Future, 1985. Robert Zemeckis directing. Bob Gale writing. Steven Spielberg producing. And what a cast. I can't wait to talk more about that cast. Michael J. Fox. Christopher Lloyd. Thomas Wilson. Leah Thompson. What a cast. And what a time to do this movie. Right in the middle of the 80s. It was such a fun time. Uh, Technology was really booming at that time. You know, you got the Walkman. uh, Computers were starting to get popular. The home computer. Um... What a time. You know, I grew up in the 80s. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, my listeners, if you did, uh, I don't know if my listeners are young or old. Uh, do you remember the 80s or you just hear about them? It was a great time to grow up. I was born in 76. So I grew up in the 80s. That was my time to frolic, to experience everything new. And what a beautiful time to grow up. I'm very thankful and I'm very thankful that I grew up watching this movie and it being my favorite. It has a special place for me. Um, there's a lot of meaning behind this movie and we'll get into that next week. Put in that movie tonight. I haven't said this in a while. I'm going to put in a movie tonight. Wow. What am I going to put in tonight? Should I put in something funny? Something sad? Maybe I'll put a documentary in. Haven't done that in a while. I uh, my my brother was talking about the Scott Peterson thing. 
and I watched a bit of that. I couldn't get through it because, boy, that guy was just a piece of shit. And uh, those of you who think he's innocent by watching that A&E documentary, don't be fooled. Every documentary is biased. And I've done a few documentaries on this show. And every single documentary has a spin on it. Okay, And uh, you got to take a documentary for what it is. It's entertainment. Like the actor's room. So, hope you enjoyed this show. Uh, I hope that I didn't lose too many people that saw that. Wow, the actor's room is over, right? Maybe not. I'm back. For now. Alright. Watch that movie tonight, folks. Let art be a part of your life. It should be. God bless you. Have a good one.